Training camp eve is officially upon us, and the Seahawks, they decided not to wait to roll out the action with a very busy Tuesday, a bunch of moves that we're going to be breaking down on a jam-packed Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here joining me for training camp eve, as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s, whether you're listening down in Eugene, Oregon, or you're listening from the cornfields in Iowa. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Training camp officially going to kick off tomorrow. We're less than 24 hours away from the Seahawks' first practice at the VMAC. Today is going to be all about defense. Key storylines to watch on the defensive side of the football and ranking defensive competitions. Going to be a loaded episode. Glad you're joining us. This episode is brought your way by eBay Motors. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only and exclusions apply. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks with training camp set to kick off tomorrow. The Seahawks orchestrated a flurry of moves and it really started last night, Rob, with Uchenna Nuosu signing a three-year $59 million contract, nearly $20 million per year. I did a bonus episode rapid reacting to that move, but we haven't had a chance really to hear your thoughts on this contract. And I know it's something we've talked about all offseason. We were both pushing for the Seahawks to get this done for a number of reasons. One, very good player. And two, opening up cap space. The Seahawks were able to do both of them yesterday. They were. And not only is rewarding a very good player and giving you, obviously, the salary cap space that you need to sign the rookies uh, that had not yet been signed. And that's one of the things I want to mention here is the Seahawks, since we record yesterday, they have signed Zach Charbonnet. It's inter- going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to do the same thing with their their first pick, the cornerback, Devin Witherspoon. But going back to Chen Nuosu, I- I'm excited about it because, again, it's rewarding a very good player. Yeah. I think it also sends a message to the rest of the league, the rest of the people and the rest of the Seahawks in the locker room, that if you do what the, the Seahawks are hoping that you are able to do, if you're productive, if you do the th- the right things, you will be rewarded. It may take some time, but the Seahawks are a franchise that is going to give these players these opportunities. I think that's one of the reasons why Seattle has won consistently when it comes to undrafted free agents, bringing those players in. But when you bring in the veterans, then you have to be able to kind of reward them if you're going to continue to get that. And, and I think that the Seattle signing Chen Nuosu, as you said, Corbin, you and I have both been kind of you know pushing for this because what Nuosu did a year ago was remarkable. He was Seattle's most impactful, even though he wasn't their leading edge rushers. We talked about this before. That's Daryl Taylor. But Chen Nuosu was their most impactful one. He was the one that was real difference maker early on, even in the, the opener against the Denver Broncos. And I think that that 
carries a great deal of weight, obviously almost $20 million in weight over the next three years. So again, I applaud the Seahawks for, for making the move. I'm excited about what Uchenna Nuosu I think can be for the Seahawks. Now the pressure's on though. And it's like we talked about before with Geno Smith. Once you get paid, then the expectations change. And so, all right, Channel, let's see what you got. Yeah, and I think the one difference here is that Nuosu did have a two-year, $19 million contract that he signed with the Seahawks. So it wasn't like he signed for veteran minimum or peanuts like Geno Smith did coming back. The Seahawks expected that Nuosu was going to be one of their top rushers, and he exceeded those expectations last year. And so I think this is a great message to free agents. Hey, we will sign you, and then if you play well, we will find ways to pay you even more money. And so I think this does speak volumes to players outside of Seattle as if it's not already a really popular destination to go to. Uh, this speaks volumes about the organization. Hey, we're going to reward the guys that earn that money. And that's what the Seahawks did. Another guy that's earned the money he's getting paid is Quandre Diggs. And this was the news today. They opened up, at least based on what I've been told, I don't officially know this, but they opened up almost $6 million with the Uchenna Nuosu extension. And they opened up another six plus million today by restructuring Quandre Diggs's contract. Now, Rob, I find this a little bit curious in terms of timing, because we know John Schneider in the past has not been pro restructuring contracts. And they already did this with Tyler Lockett in May with Nuosu being extended. I did not expect to see another restructure. So this makes me wonder, and no, I'm not saying the Seahawks are trading for Chris Jones because that's not happening. But I do wonder if there is a trade out there that maybe has come to light for John Schneider. And now he's saying, I need cap space because this was more than just, we're going to sign our rookies and maybe bring back Shelby Harris. Maybe that is part of the plan still, but that's a lot of money being opened up in a 24-hour period. It tells me there could be something else coming, a bigger domino potentially. I don't want to get Seahawks fans' hopes up, but this is kind of an odd time to do that if that's not the case. It's it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think it suggests that there could be options available. And I, I don't want to, you know, focus so much on what could be. I want to focus here on, on Quandry Diggs. And I think that, again, like we talked about with the Nuosi Corps, but I think that kudos to the Seahawks, kudos to Quandry Diggs, obviously. Um, you know, but uh, again, this is a reflection of the fact that Quandry Diggs, who, of course, Seattle traded for from Detroit, ha has done the right way. I mean, he's been, obviously, if you're a, an all-pro caliber player, as he's proven himself to be, then that is obviously the right way. But I don't just mean on the field. I mean the leadership that he has demonstrated. Um, you know, and so I, I think that this is a is a huge signing for the Seahawks, and I'm excited for for just that reason. Just kind of, you know, just saying to Quandre Diggs on the heels of bringing in Julian Love, and obviously all the questions about Jamal Adams, you know, but still just saying this is what Seattle believes in. There, there's been so many questions that people outside of Seattle have had about the Seahawks allocating as many dollars as they have to the safeties, and rather than Seattle backpedal. Instead, they're kind of, you know, all in and they're doing that again here with Quandre Diggs. So, again, to me, what's exciting about it is the Seahawks are very clear in that they obviously expect Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams and Julian Love perhaps to really be able to kind of be one of the real strengths of this defense. And then, again, you are rewarding a really good player, a really good person on and off the field. And I think that's what the 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 type of. 
of community, the type of locker room that Seattle is trying to build, and they're recognizing the players that are doing so. And I will say this, doing this with Lockett and Diggs, pushing that, those cap hits down to next year, all that does is just tell you, hey, your job is secure next year. So if you're wondering about Quandre Diggs being in a situation where, oh, last year of contract, they might opt out on that. No, they're not going to be doing that. So this is a sign, hey, you guys are part of our team for the next couple of years minimum. And so that is a statement the Seahawks made to Quandre Diggs. Real quick, one other notable news story today. The Seahawks signed a few players. You're welcome to, to chime in on that. But the bigger story today in terms of players being let go, Alton Robinson before his fourth season, the Seahawks releasing him. And I found it interesting there was no injury designation on the NFL transaction wire because I figured this was a failed physical-related release because he didn't do anything in OTAs or minicamp. Pete Carroll had a grim update on him at the end of minicamp. He missed all of last season. This looked like maybe this is a chronic knee issue, and that may very well still be the case. But I'm also wondering if this is just the number of bodies that they have at that position and the fact that as we talked about, he might not necessarily be the right fit for what they're wanting to do with their outside linebackers in this 3-4 defense. Whatever the case, his time in Seattle appears to be over as he was released today, and they signed a few free agents to help fill some of those gaps. They, they did. Uh, the, the big defensive tackle, Roderick Perry, um, I, I think that that makes, that, that makes some sense. A 6'1", 304-pounder, played his college ball at Illinois, previously at South Carolina State. Spent a, a cup of coffee with the Cleveland Browns a year ago. I think that he is going to be somebody else to add a little bit more bulk um, to the interior of Seattle's defensive line. The edge rusher, Levi Bell, 6'1", 275-pounder. Corbin, he had a phenomenal workout, um, was one of several different players that the Seahawks uh, worked out here recently. I don't have the numbers from this workout here just in the last day or so, but just going back to March of uh, 2023, just a couple of months ago, Corbin, he was absolutely fantastic. I mean, he came in a little bit under six foot, but uh, six foot, but 262 pounds, 5'11", 262 pounds, was clocked at 4.59 seconds in the 40-yard dash, 33 repetitions to 225 pounds, a 37 and a half inch vertical jump, a 10 foot 7 broad jump, 4'4", short shuttle, 7.32 three cone, Corbin, this is an explosive athlete. This is a guy who has been in the in the USFL with the Michigan Panthers his last season. Um, and, you know, he got a late start into the year, but once he got rolling, he was the second highest rated defensive player by Pro Football Focus, uh, you know, an organization that they and I don't always agree on evaluations, but this is an explosive athlete. And we talked about this before. This is the time, this is the time of year to kind of roll the dice and gamble. And so as we talked about, and the Seahawks have just opened up some dollars. I think that they are trying to find some kind of diamond in the rough types. And one final player I'll mention, Andrew Whitaker, who played at Washington University in St. Louis, a D3 school. But at the same time, this is a track athlete. This is a cornerback, as you mentioned before. Seattle dropped some players today. Uh, you know, And so that was a position that was becoming a little bit more of a concern. So Seattle, at least reportedly signed three different players today, Roderick Perry, Levi Bell, and Andrew Whitaker. I'm, I'm fascinated to see which of these players, if any, are going to be able to make a big impact in training camp. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by Bell because he had a near 27% pass rush win rate, and I know it's USFL competition, and he's got to be able to play against NFL guys, but he's a great athlete, so I'm intrigued. And certainly the Seahawks are going to continue shuffling the deck. We know that things are going to continue to happen, shaking up that roster. Maybe there will be a big domino coming 
in the near future with training camp starting tomorrow. We'll just have to wait and see. Coming up next, we're going to be breaking out our defensive key storylines to watch going into training camp of the 2023 season. Don't go away. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of twists and turns and throw a few wrenches at you when you least expect it. So it's important to show yourself through it all and put a focus on your mental health. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy has worked wonders for me numerous times, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash locked on. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my coast in crime, Rob Rain. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Every dayers, I know training camp starts tomorrow, but we're going to have an episode as we always have on Wednesday. We'll be diving into some takeaways from day one of training camp. And we'll be doing some way back Wednesday as well, finishing up our all underrated squad. It's going to be a very fun episode. Hope you'll be listening in. Let's get to our key storylines to watch on defense. Yesterday was an all offensive oriented episode. Rob, we talked about Geno Smith slinging the rock to Jackson Smith and Jigba, a potentially upgraded interior offensive line, potentially being the key word there. And of course, we looked at tight ends and every other position group. We're going to do the same on defense and There are a lot of question marks with this unit. Now, is there more optimism? I believe there is, and I think it's warranted at the same time. There's not as many sure things here as we know on the offensive side of the football for the Seahawks. And I know there's one position group in particular, Rob, that even as we go into the start of training camp, you're still pretty concerned about going into the season. No, I absolutely am. I mean, when, when Seattle made the selection of Cameron Young uh, in, in the fourth round this past year, I thought, okay, well, that's probably going to be your starting nose guard. But it, it, I really think that this is an area that, that Seattle needs to continue to address. And, and there's, I am certainly not alone in this. That's one of the reasons why there's a lot of people out there who were, were shocked when Al Woods wound up signing elsewhere, shocked that Shelby Harris has not been re-signed by Seattle. Um, you know, I, I look at guys like, like, again, Cameron Young, Austin Faliu, uh, Jonah Tavai is listed on the Seahawks roster as a nose tackle, not as a defensive tackle. I thought that was interesting. And of course, the as I mentioned, you know, a couple of moments ago, the, the signing of Roderick Perry II, um, who again was with the Cleveland Browns this past season, previously played at Illinois and South Carolina State. But still, you're talking about four players that don't have a lot of NFL experience. And this is an NFL team in the Seattle Seahawks that finished 30th in the NFL in run defense a year ago. Corbin, yeah. the only two teams that were worse than Seattle stopping the run was the Chicago Bears and the Houston Texans. That's not, not company you want to keep. Yeah, exactly. Now, if you want to be in the playoffs. And so, I, again, we talked about before, this is truly a remarkable testament to what Seattle was able to pull off a year ago. They really should not have been in the playoffs considering how abysmal their run defense was a year ago. So, that, that's one of the reasons why I was just completely convinced that Seattle was going to go for a defensive lineman. And, of course, I would kept thinking it was going to be Jalen Carter um, in, in the first round. And obviously they did not do that. But 
they have not yet addressed that in what I consider to be a gaping hole in the middle. I still believe the San Francisco 49ers and a lot of other teams, Philadelphia Eagles, I think that they are the creme de la creme of the NFC. And I just, I struggle with imagine a scenario in which Seattle is going to be able to hold up at the point of attack against the powerful run running teams of the NFL. And so to me, that, that is easily the biggest question on the interior or the biggest question on defense is the interior. And if you remember, um, you know, yesterday, the, my biggest question was the interior of the offensive line as well. So, again, the big story to me where I'm going to definitely be have my eyes trained when I'm there in the VMAC as well is I'm going to be watching the interior of the offensive and interior of the defensive lines. And, again, the four-man uh, nose tackle position that right now is Cameron Young, Austin Fuliu, Jonah Tavai, and Roderick Perry the second. Yeah, it's been the position group that has been the biggest concern since the wild card round ended and they lost to the 49ers in that game. Are you going to be able to get more dynamic? And I think to an extent they have, but there is a lot of inexperience. And so that really leads to your uncertainty. There's also not a lot of beef. So those are the reasons behind the uncertainty there. Meanwhile, when you go at safety, if you've got Jamal Adams, Quandra Diggs, and Julian Love all healthy, you should have a top three safety group in the entire NFL. That should be the cream of your the cream of the crop on your defense. Those safeties playing together, different skill sets, but that's the question for me. Can Seattle finally unleash this safe, this three safety tandem as a focal point, as Pete Carroll's wanted to do schematically? He's wanted to do it ever since Jamal Adams came over via trade from the Jets. It was with Ryan Neal and Quandre Diggs, and now it's with Julian Love. You've got Adams coming off the significant injury, the torn quad tendon. We don't know what to expect there, and I know we've talked about it numerous times throughout the offseason, but that is, to me, the second biggest storyline with this defense behind the questions with the defensive line is what is Jamal Adams going to look like? And if he is back healthy, are you going to be able to keep those three safeties all on the field so that you can finally maximize what you want to do with your playbook and how you want to run your defense and all the different versatile looks that you want to put against defenses? So Adams really is the focal point of this discussion, but Julian Love, where does he fit in coming over from New York? Are you going to maximize his skill set? How are they going to use him? Is he going to play more in slot? Is he going to be playing as a deep safety a lot? What do they plan to do with all these different pieces? Quandre Diggs is the one certainty there, but you got to figure out how to get all three of those guys in the field, keep them together, and maximize their skill set. So that, to me, is one of the biggest storylines, no question about it, going into this training camp. And I'm sure that we could look at the other secondary group and feel somewhat similar in some senses. Yeah, that's where I was going to go next is at the cornerback position. Well done, sir. Nice assist. And John Stockton, I'll start calling you here. Um, you know, I, I think that those of you who are watching on YouTube a moment ago, you might have seen the smile creep on my face when I went from the concern I have for Seattle's interior of the defensive line to the safety position, as Corbin just explained. And, and I just kind of broke into a big smile because, yeah, if Seattle has that three-headed monster at the safety position, they have a truly healthy Jamal Adams, and things get pretty exciting. I feel the similarly about the cornerback position because there's just so many very good, talented players there. Now, obviously, a big part of this is going to be the number five overall pick, Devin Witherspoon, who, again, as we are recording tonight, he has not been signed yet by the Seahawks. But 
it does feel like the Seahawks have created plenty of salary cap space. I the, the impression I get from kind of you know checking in with people is that things are fine. He's going to get signed. Everything's going to go just war, you know beautifully. And, and so I, I do think that when you have Seattle's cornerback talent and depth. I think that the Seahawks feel really good about that. I think that's one of the reasons why they wound up cutting the two players that they cut today, just because they viewed them as kind of extras on a roster that, you know, frankly, you're going to have some players that might get cut from Seattle's cornerback room that may wind up signing elsewhere. That Seattle's corners are just that talented. So to me, again, this is a fun, uh, you know, competition to be focusing on. It's not quite as nerve wracking as it is in the interior. I think this is going to be a fun one. To me, this is all about slotting. Who's going to be that number three corner? Is it going to be Kobe Bryant? Are you going to see uh, Devin Witherspoon presumably signing? Is he going to be able to slide inside? We've talked about before. Historically, it doesn't happen very often, but he is a unique talent that has done it before at Illinois. You love what Mike Jackson brought you a year ago, obviously. You love what Tariq Woolen brought you, but you know, what about Trey Brown? You know, there, there are some bodies there that are going to be able to kind of push for this. So again, I, I, I mentioned cornerback here with a smile on my face because I'm just fascinated to watch it because I think that it is one of truly the most gifted positional groups in all of the NFL. Yeah, there's no question in terms of upside that this cornerback group is as good as any positional unit out there with a top five pick in the talent level of Devin Witherspoon and then Tariq Woolen, who the ceiling is beyond the clouds. He's in a nearby solar system in terms of his upside. So there's a lot of reason to be excited. At the same time, you got to see it all come together on the field. And that's how I feel about linebacker for different reasons. I'm interested to see how things play out here because on paper, you got a future Hall of Famer in Bobby Wagner. He's coming back to Seattle after one year in L.A. He was an all-pro there, and he deserved it. He was one of the best linebackers in the league. Once again, for the Rams, they used him a bit differently, but he's 33. So I still have some curiosity here on what it's going to look like bringing him back into this defense. Are they going to use him similarly to how the Rams did, or are they going to lean back on his earlier career? I don't know if that necessarily is going to work right now. So for me, the storyline here. Is this linebacker group actually better compared to a year ago? And I know signing Bobby Wagner, a lot of listeners are going to say immediately, hey, this is a better linebacking core. But Jordan Brooks, we don't know if he's going to be ready for week one, coming off the torn ACL. And then Devin Bush, the other free agent that they signed, had a really good rookie year four years ago. He has not been the same player the last two years. Can you turn that reclamation project into a successful one. If you can, then I think this linebacker group is better. But I've said it ever since the season ended in January. I felt like Cody Barton improved a lot late in the season last year. So if Devin Bush doesn't play very well in this change of scenery and you don't have a healthy Jordan Brooks, if Bobby Wagner starts to show some signs of decline at his age, I mean, now you're looking at a situation like maybe we would have liked to have Cody Barton back. And John Radigan and Vi Jones, those are your two main backups. And between them, they have like two defensive snaps in the regular season, maybe zero. Uh, Radigan might have gotten one or two. I'd have to double check on that. But I mean, these two have not played defense. So, yeah, suddenly things look pretty bleak at that position, at least from an experience standpoint. So I do have questions there. If everything comes together, I think this can be a very good linebacker group. But I also have reasons to believe that there could be some concern here. There's some things that are cropping up that could make it that group maybe 
isn't as good as last year's linebacking course. So that is one of those major uncertainties heading into training camp. Coming up next, we're going to continue talking defense, and we've already kind of given some breadcrumbs on some competitions, but we're going to be ranking the defensive competitions set to take place in training camp and the preseason. We'll get to those here in a moment on our Tuesday episode of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For every dayers, we will have our takeaways from the first training camp practice coming up tomorrow, one of our favorite episodes of the year because football is officially back. You won't want to miss it. We'll have some fun tidbits coming out of the VMAC on our Wednesday show. Let's get to our defensive position battle rankings. And yesterday we talked offense and we had a few discrepancies. We both agreed that center was the most intriguing, most fascinating positional battle I feel like on defense, though, there isn't necessarily that cut-and-dry competition that just that is easily the most interesting, like what center is on offense. There's a number of them that are really fascinating, and yet there isn't that one that stands out like a sore thumb where you're like, this could be really important to the Seahawks team. Obviously, these are all important, Rob, but there's not that one that glares at you like, oh, this could really be a difference maker in how this team performs on defense, but there's some really fun ones nonetheless. Yeah, for, for me, as I told, or as I mentioned before, I, I certainly have a lot of concerns about stopping the run. As I mentioned, the Seahawks finished 30th in the NFL a year ago. Seattle was much better in terms, in terms of the pass rush, but still, I feel like Seattle has one superstar in Chan Nuosu, and the Seahawks just signed him as if he is a superstar, $20 million a year. I'm still kind of wrapping my brain around that number, but can you find another guy opposite him? Now, Daryl Taylor was Seattle's top pass rusher a year ago, nine and a half sacks. We've talked about that, you know, a million times, but it was like, you know, peaks and valleys. I mean, it just felt like sometimes you were talking about, you know, Mount Everest and the, the Marianas Trench in terms of how productive that Daryl Taylor can be and then the pitfalls and how unproductive and how unreliable that he could be in terms of run defense. And as I mentioned before, that is a huge area of concern for me personally. So to me, the top five camp battles I am fascinated by is, is can Daryl Taylor prove himself to be that, 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 that perfect complementary threat, perhaps even a better player than Uchenna Uwosu. He just had evidence that uh, the Seahawks are willing to pay their top pass rushers. So I'm fascinated by if Daryl Taylor is able to take that next step. You mentioned a couple of days ago, Corbin, that, that you thought that Boye Mafe might be able to take that next step. So I'm certainly excited about yeah. you know his potential as well. Derek Hall also, to me, the pass rush group, that competition, I just want to see these guys line up and see exactly what they can do and, and who is actually able to generate consistent pressure and be able to play run defense. Both things. Because Seattle starter opposite Nichiren Nuosu is going to have to be that. If it's going to be the same thing as last year, then you're going to see Daryl Taylor be that pass rush specialist, and Derek Hall is going to have to be able to step up and play significant minutes. Otherwise, it is going to be Boye Mafe's job, you know, because there's no other options. Yeah, I, these rankings are always subjective, and there's always different ways that you can assess. And so, for you, you know, maybe there's a little bit of concern that, you know, there's a lot of talent here, but can we get that second pass rusher to really emerge and have a breakout season and be consistent? I'm going to take a little bit more positive spin here with number one on my rankings, and it's the cornerback position. How could you not be fascinated? And 
intrigued and ecstatic about the possibilities at that position. And we've talked about Devin Witherspoon. We've talked about Reek Woolen. We've talked about Kobe Bryant, three guys that are all either in their second season or rookie. And two of them got a ton of experience last year. One of them, Tariq Woolen, was a pro bowler, a finalist for defensive rookie of the year. Devin Witherspoon was an unanimous All-American. But then you just look at what is behind those guys. Mike Jackson, this is what I believe. I think Mike Jackson could start for half the teams in the NFL. And he's probably not going to start for this football team. That is a really good telltale sign for how much talent they've got at cornerback. And then you got Trey Brown. And I'm going to say this, I think he could start for nine or ten teams minimum in the National Football League. A healthy Trey Brown. We saw it his rookie year. And then you have another player in Artie Burns who has started a lot of games and probably could be on a roster for a number of teams. And right now, he's got as slim a shot as anybody to make this team, even with Isaiah Dunn being released today, another player removed from that discussion. But you've got some undrafted guys that have a lot of intrigue. For me in particular, Boykin from Coastal Carolina is the one that I'm excited about because he checks off the Pete Carroll boxes. He's big. He's long. He's physical. He's a really good special teams player. So Lance Boykin is one to keep an eye on too. But there's some really fun – Players like Arquan Bush from Cincinnati, who played yeah. the national uh, in the final four in the playoffs a couple of years ago, really good players. So they've got so much depth. It's a wealth of riches. So how could you not be excited about the competition just for a roster spot there? And Mike Jackson's going to say, hey, that job's not yours yet, Devin Witherspoon. So I think this is going to be extremely fun to watch from a worry scale for me. Edge rusher would actually be number two for me, and it's mainly because I just want to see can some of these second-round picks live up to their billing. I want to see Boye Mafe emerge as a pass pass rusher this year after getting three sacks and just 10 pressures last season. I want to see Daryl Taylor learn how to stop the run even 25% of the time. Just baby steps. Let's get started there. If he was able to be competent half the time, he is a phenomenal edge rusher in the NFL. So I feel like he's just got to be able to take those steps and then we could see a guy that ends up getting you 11 or 12 sacks. And Derek Hall, as a rookie, can you come in and make instant contributions? Tyreek Smith. Hey, Seattle just made a message here with Alvin Robinson. We believe in Tyreek Smith. We're keeping you around. So he's somebody to keep a close eye on. And then I'd have defensive tackle third on this list. It's probably the most pressing just in terms of importance, trying to get that rotation figured out, all the uncertainty we talked about earlier. But at the same time, I don't know if there's necessarily going to be any crazy competitions there. Maybe Jaron Reed and Mario Edwards will be competing for the one starting spot at the three-tech position. Maybe Miles Adams throws his helmet into the ring there. Mike Morris, the fifth-round pick, says, hey, I can beat Tariq Wool on the defensive line this year, playing a position I haven't played a ton, but I can make an instant impact. But I don't know if there's necessarily going to be that crazy competition for a starting position there. So for that reason, I've got it at number three on my list. Yeah, and that's why I'm going to switch back to that cornerback position here for a moment because obviously you're talking about, you know, Seattle's number five overall selection um, in Devin Witherspoon. You're talking about the fifth-round pick, Tariq Woolen, who just absolutely seized control of the NFL and I think established himself as the best cornerback in the NFC West, and there's some good ones. Um, you know, I, I really think that this is going to be a fascinating competition, but I, I want to see who winds up being that nickel corner. Uh, I really think that Kobe Bryant, you talked about this a couple of days ago, Corbin, just how how well that he played toward the second half of the season, and yet I do firmly believe that he is at best Seattle's number 
number four in terms of pure talent, number four cornerback. Because I agree with you. I think that Mike Jackson could start for a number of teams in the NFL. I like his size. I like his length. I like his physicality. I did it way back when he was the University of Miami. You can kind of look that up if you'd like, because I did like him back in the day. I was surprised that he hasn't had more success in the NFL. I do believe that he's a starter. I like him best on the outside, however. And Witherspoon, I also like on the outside. I love his size. I love his length. I love his physicality. But because he has played and played as well as he did inside a year ago at Illinois in the nickel position, traveling with wide receivers and just being the competitive wired guy that he is, I, I really think that those are the top three guys. So I am fascinated by that cornerback competition as we talked about before, but I don't want that to come off as any type of slight to Kobe Bryant. I don't want it to come off as any kind of slight to Trey Brown. You, you mentioned before Isaiah Dunn. I thought that Isaiah Dunn is a legitimate NFL cornerback. I'm intrigued by James Campbell, the corner from Montana State, who Seattle also cut. Again, it kind of goes back to the point I tried to make before. I just think the Seattle's depth, the corner is good enough that it allows them this type of flexibility. So I really am fascinated to see not just who plays for Seattle, but where do they play? I personally think that Witherspoon is probably uh, versatile enough to slide inside and play that nickel spot. Whereas I don't think that that that's Mike Jackson's game. In, in my no. opinion, he's best outside. And so I really think this can, could come down to Weatherspoon and, uh, and Kobe Bryant for that nickel spot. And if the number five overall selection is not starting, you, can you just hear the people across the country? Just, you know, all the question marks. But again, what I come back to is that the, the production that Seattle has had, uh, you know, and, and just the trust that I have is with Pete Carroll, specifically in the secondary, I, I think it just has, has proven, just give them time. Everything's going to be fine. And again, I think this is more a reflection of the, all the talent that Seattle has. Finally, last little thing, you mentioned the linebackers. I, I'm as, as I feel very, uh, I feel much better about the fact that they got Bobby Wagner obviously back. I'm fascinated to kind of see what happens with Devin Bush. I, I really think that the change of scenery, I know that's kind of a, a cliche a little bit, but you just think about the, the coaching that's in Pittsburgh and the coaching that is here in Seattle and who is the more player friendly kind of type. I do think that Devin Bush might be able to kind of get a second lease on life a little bit here with Pete Carroll. And then you mentioned two of the young linebackers. I'm really interested in Radigan and Vi Jones. I mentioned Vi Jones perhaps, perhaps as a as a kind of a breakout candidate for the Seahawks here. I like his speed. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by what he could do. So to me, that is going to be another one of those positions. I already mentioned defensive line. I already mentioned the edge rushers, linebacker depth, and how that all gets sorted out. Do Seattle's young linebackers live up to their promise and, and be able to kind of take over those spots or does Seattle have to kind of be looking for some of the free agent options that might still be available to them late in training camp? Yeah, I have reserve linebackers on my list as number four because I am fascinated to see what does Vi Jones look like? Pete Carroll yeah. said he's put on some muscle. How does he play defending the run in preseason games? Is he going to be able to ward off blocks a little bit better? We know the athlete is there. We know he can rush off the edge. We know he can block kicks. He's a really good special teams player. But can he make major stride as an off-ball linebacker in Seattle's scheme. If he does, he's got better traits as an athlete than John Radigan does. But Radigan has the intangibles aspect, and he's an outstanding tackler. And so he's got some significant advantages. He's a really good special teams player in his own right. And I'm going to throw the name Patrick O'Connell out there, the undrafted yes. rookie out of Montana, who – doesn't look like an NFL linebacker. He's kind of undersized, but the dude can rush off the edge. He had double-digit sacks two years ago, and I know it's the FCS, but Montana has kicked out some really good NFL players. 
So don't put past Patrick O'Connell to throw his helmet in the ring and say, hey, I'm the next undrafted guy like a Brock Coyle type that's going to make this football team. And so he's extremely productive, won a bunch of awards at the FCS level. So he's a guy I'm keeping an eye on. And I've got reserve safety at last on my list because we know that Jamal Adams' situation is kind of hovering over this. If he's not healthy, then you might be able to keep two of these guys. But if you have a healthy Jamal Adams, you've got digs, you've got love, you might only be able to hold one of Joey Blunt, Jarek Reed, the second or sixth round pick, and Jonathan Sutherland, an undrafted rookie that everybody that I've talked to in the building is raving about. They're probably only going to be able to keep one of those guys if Jamal Adams is healthy. So that is an incredible competition there that's going to boil down to special teams, how much positional flexibility that the player offers. Jarek Reed has pretty much played everywhere in the secondary. Sutherland has played that money linebacker position at Penn State. And you got a guy like Joey Blunt, who was one of the best special teams players last year until he got hurt. So that one jumps out to me as one that is going to be worth watching here as we draw closer to training camp. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I mean, the safety position, again, is, is long, we've talked about this before. We're kind of looking at like our way back Wednesdays as our underrated teams. I mean, safety in Seattle has just truly been one of the, the, the best and most talented positions for just an awful long time. And I don't know that we have any, you know, Kenny Easley's, um, you know, at, at this point um, in Seattle. I mean, certainly Quandra Diggs, Jamal Adams, and Julian Love are very, very good players. But it's kind of like we talked about with the quarterback depth. So I, I love that you mentioned guys like Joey Blunt, who, who made this team a year ago as an undrafted free agent, and that story is, is fascinating. You, you mentioned Jonathan Sutherland. I mean, I mentioned another Montana State guy, James Campbell, the corner got cut, but Ty Okada is, is a good football player yeah. as well, so kind of gave some love to Montana, give a little bit more back to the Bobcats at Montana State here, too. So I, I do agree with you. That that safety position is, is just really an interesting one, um, and I, I'm just fascinated to see from the top to bottom. In fact, I would say this. From top to bottom, there is not a position I am more interested to evaluate this year for the Seahawks than safety. Because obviously, Jamal Adams might just be the biggest story of all of training camp. And then again, the depth that Seattle has throughout the secondary, I really think is going to keep the Seahawks one of the clubs that other NFL teams are going to be watching a lot over the preseason. Yeah, we already saw teams have interest in players like Ryan Neal, who's now in Tampa Bay. Like, if there's a good safety that does make Seattle's team, usually the other teams are like vultures and they're looking to sign those guys. But there really is a ripple effect here coming off of Jamal Adams' status. Again, if he is not ready to play week one, he's on the pup list, then probably two of these guys make the roster and you would feel comfortable having two of these guys because there's really solid football players that fit your system well. But if Adams is healthy... Roster spots suddenly get really thin. You might only be able to keep one of these players, and that can be tough for the Seahawks. I think they love all three of these kids, but uh, you're going to be hard-pressed to keep more than one in that situation, and that just by itself makes that a must-watch competition in my mind. Even if they're not starters, you got to be excited watching those guys because they're going to be key special teams players, and we've seen the durability issues at safety. you got to have guys that can step in and play there as well. All three of these guys are going to be looking to prove that to the Seahawks coaching staff. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Training camp starts tomorrow, and we're going to be breaking down everything from the VMAC on our Wednesday episode, kickstarting the 2023 season. Football officially back. Hope you'll be joining us for the show. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and thanks for listening. Go Hawks.